Psalm 110 as we look at this topic of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. That's the topic found in questions 43, 44, and 45 of the Westminster Larger Confession, or the Westminster Larger Catechism. My apologies there. Um, so questions 43, 44, and 45. So Psalm 110 is the first thing to find, Psalm 110. And once you've found Psalm 110, also um, have at hand Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews and the first chapter of Hebrews Hebrews chapter 1. So this evening we're going to be looking at Christ's threefold office. Christ's threefold office. And that threefold office is prophet, priest, and king. Again, that's the, looking at questions 43, 44, and 45 of the larger catechism. And we're going to be further looking at the role of Christ here this evening. Now... It's often misunderstood what Christ is or what the name Christ means. I think often people think of Christ as if it's a surname, Jesus Christ. And they'll almost treat it and think about it, especially in popular culture, as if that's his second name. Um, You know, my second name is Flynn and a name like that. But it's not like that at all. It comes from the Greek word Christos, which merely means anointed. Anointed, And what, is, what are we anointed with? Oil. That's the idea. Anointed with oil. And in the Old Testament, if you go through the Old Testament, you're going to find three groups of people who are anointed with oil. Prophets, priests, and also kings. Um, there were lots of anointed ones. If you go through the Old Testament, um, there's lots of, you could say... Now, small m, messiahs, but there's the ultimate messiah, that is Jesus Christ. Um, They were prophets given anointing, priests given anointing, kings given anointed. But as we look at these three things, I think it's important also to point out that these are really, the office of Christ is one. It's not three offices, it's not like Christ plays the role of prophet, then goes over, plays the role of priest or king. But for our way of looking and studying it, it's very beneficial to look at these individually. Um, So it's very important that we see that Christ's office is really one office. And I think as well, we also need to see the importance and the uniqueness of Christ I suppose, too, in a day where the name of Jesus Christ is so freely blasphemed. Um, I don't know how how bad it is up here. I remember when I worked in Dublin, in Cork, I had to cringe every time I'd go to the the canteen or, you know, I was on break. The amount of times I would hear the Lord's name used in vain, and it grieved my heart. It really grieved my heart. Um, Christ is a position of honour. And glory, and I pray that we'll see that here this evening. So let us read now these two passages from God's holy and his infallible word. Psalm 110 first, let us hear God's word. A psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your enemies. 
Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Amen. And let us also turn now to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. As we read from that chapter as well. God, who at sundry times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. and They will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit in my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. Again, just to remind ourselves, we'll be looking at the, the topic found in the Westminster Larger Catechism And I know I might repeat myself a lot here, but I think it's very important that we realize we're not preaching, per se, the catechism. And um, I'd rather be too repetitive than not clear. Um, I heard it from a preacher years ago, and it was one thing that put me off preaching in this style. And for years I thought, I don't want to preach to the catechism. But it's not the catechism, per se, it's the topic found in the catechism, preaching from the word of God, and we also believe that it is what the scriptures teach. So they are consistent with each other. They are a subordinate authority of our church. Now, question 43 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this, how doth Christ 
execute the office of a prophet? Okay, that's question 43. And question 44, it has about a priest. How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? And question 45 says this. How doth Christ execute the office of a king? And as we said, these things are really one office in Christ. But it's right and proper that we speak about them separately. You may read books, and it's nothing wrong with dealing with one and dealing with the other, dealing with the other. But there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlap. And um, you'll see that he, in one passage, it looked like in scripture, it looked like you'll see a lot of him as prophet, but you'll also see king, some of a priest. There is a lot of overlap in these, and we will see that, Lord willing, here this evening. They're really one office. Herman Bovink, um, who lived about 100 years ago, said this on, on the office of Christ, that the three offices in the life of Jesus are not to be distinguished, and that their activities flow into one another. So while the catechism might make it seem like there's three different offices going on, it is really one office and, and it's right and proper as well that we look at these separately. But I pray as well we'll see the oneness of the office of Christ here this evening. Number one now, Christ as prophet. Christ as prophet. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the the fathers by the prophets, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And we'll stop there through halfway through that verse. Spoken. He has spoken by his Son. Now, as we speak as Christ, as prophet, we need to get a few potential misunderstandings out of the way. Um, we, we don't just mean he's just another prophet, okay? There's, there's religions like Islam will say that Jesus was just another prophet. Um, they'll say he was just another prophet with Abraham and Moses. But he was still a prophet. It was still right that he was a prophet. But he's the ultimate prophet. Not just a prophet, more than a prophet, but he was still a prophet. Now he is the prophet we must all listen to. He is the prophet we hear from in the word of God. When we hear the word of God faithfully preached, he is that prophet. And he is the one we faithfully hear anytime we do devotions or anything else and and read the word of God. He is the one who communicates the Father. He shows us the true nature of God. But I think also, the word prophet's often misunderstood, isn't it? If you went around the street and you said, oh, that's very prophetic. What do people mostly think? They think of future, pro- future predictions. If, if you're thinking, eh, what's the score in the match tomorrow or something like that? Oh, you're very prophetic yesterday. And what would happen? But it's not just about telling the future. I think if you look at what the prophets did, a lot of it was about telling the future. But, it's, but that's just part of it. That's just part of it. Um, a prophet was far more than that. J.G. Voss, who is, um, who is the son of a very famous uh, Gerhardus Voss, who actually became a, a covenanter in America, uh, he said this, a prophet 
is God's representative in speaking to man. God's representative in speaking to man. God's spokesman. God's mouthpiece. And if you ever see that commentary in the Westminster Larger Catechism, J.G. Voss, it's excellent. Um, Throughout the scriptures, a prophet did not just predict the future. It includes the future because God knew the future. But he's declaring the truth of God. He's declaring the truth of God. Um, It's authoritative what he's doing. And that's that's why preaching is with authority. If preaching's without authority, it's just like any other teaching, and it has it's stripped of all its value. That's why a prophet must be called by God, because he's, he's giving the king's message. If you think it, in the ancient world, if somebody just took upon themselves, I'm going to speak on behalf of the king, and you, you run up to the other kingdom, and you, you get the message wrong, the other king's liable to, what would he do to you? Probably wouldn't end well. I think you can imagine what would happen. That's why it's so serious for anybody who's contemplating the ministry. Because you're saying, hey, I've been sent by God. That's the, and it was in the Old Testament, your prophets been sent with the message of God, Moses, Abraham, others. But that's, the, that's why it's so serious. Now, let's get, come back to Christ now. As we think of Christ and fulfilling this role as prophet, He declares the truth of God, but not in in exactly the same way Moses or Abraham or anybody else did because they were sinners. He communicated the truth perfectly. It says here in John 1.18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And there's a special way That Jesus declares the Father to which no other human being will ever be able to do. He communicates. If we see Christ, we really see the Father as well. They are one. They are one. He has declared him. And that's the work of the prophet. To declare the message of truth. And as we remind ourselves that second verse in Hebrews chapter 1. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Notice how... Paul writing this says, in these last days, 2,000 years ago, they were in the last days. 2,000 years later, they're still in the last days. If you actually do a bit of a study, I think it was about uh, was it 10, 15 years ago, or whenever it was, I, I went through everywhere in the Bible it talks about the last days. It's talking about the time of Christ to the time of his return once again. And Jesus, the ultimate prophet, has spoken. Where has he spoken? Praise God, he's not the author of confusion. We have the word of the living God. It says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And now, that's specifically referring to the 150 psalms, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs found in the Psalter. But it's called the Word of Christ. Isn't that very interesting? He communicates. He teaches. And that role of prophet, Christ reveals truth to his church. He is the Word. He is that eternal Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He reveals the truth when we, when we sing the psalms, the wonderful thing is 
the truth is being proclaimed. That's often why you'll see sometimes see when, when they worship in the Old Testament, it's called prophesying. They're, they're declaring the truth. They're revealing the truth in a way. They're showing the truth. In the Old Testament, the truth was revealed in various different ways. In verse 1 of Hebrews uh, chapter 1, God, in various times, this is like different times, okay, and in various ways, different ways, because in the Old Testament, sometimes it was dreams, sometimes it was visions, sometimes it was um, direct speaking, all sorts of different ways. In time past, to the fathers, how? By the prophets. As in these last days, spoken unto us by his son, the ultimate prophet. He spoke by many prophets in the Old Testament, and now he's spoken by the ultimate prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the can- we believe the canon of Scripture is closed. Canon of Scripture closed at the end of the book of Revelation, and it was closed shut with a warning for anyone who would add or take away from the words of this book. Isn't that interesting? Right at the end of the canon of Scripture. Christ helps us to understand his will. He helps us. That's his, that's his role. So when you don't understand something, who's there to help you? Yes, the Holy Spirit. But we can go to Christ to teach us. Do you ever, you're in school and you're struggling and finally you ask a question, put up your hand. And you, and you just admit that you don't understand something. And you'll see, actually, probably in your class, oh, everybody else doesn't understand it either. Christ is there to teach you. He's your prophet. He's a teacher. Of course, he is the ultimate perfect teacher. But we must come to Christ for teaching, for wisdom, for knowledge. Now, let's think about that. If we don't come to Christ and to his word, the word of the living God, constantly in the word of the living God, what happens if we drift from it? What happens if we, um, we neglect private devotions? Or put it another way, say a couple of years ago, you, were, you would have read... Pick a number, 15 minutes a day. But over time, it became a little bit shorter, a little bit more rushed, a little bit more distracted, phone in the corner of the room, text messages going off, and whatever else. And little by little, your devotions weren't what they were maybe five years ago, ten years ago. You don't spend as much time, quality time alone with God. And think about that in any relationship. If you don't spend quality time with your wife or your husband, with your children, with your family, the relationship will suffer. Any relationship will suffer. We need to be alone with God. Individually, as families. And look, if you haven't done things like that before, you don't need children to have family worship, just you and your wife or your husband. Come together, five, ten minutes a day, sing a, a short section of a psalm, read a bit of scripture, pray together. How much they'll bond you together. Uh, and the word of Christ not only will teach you as individuals, but teach you as a family, as a unit, as a unit before God, that Christ may bless you. And so, if you have found yourself drifting from God, then he may bring you back. But it's through the word, and through a love of the word, through the ultimate prophet. And we must also remember as well, this ultimate prophet was prophesied in the Old Testament. 
Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 says this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking now. Like me from your midst. From your brethren. Him you shall hear. And then referring to this in the book of Acts, Acts 3, verses 22 to 24. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Verse 23. And it shall be that every soul that will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. You see how he's still calling him a prophet? Shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets. Uh, from Samuel. And those who follow, as many have, have spoken, also foretold these days. So here is all this big line of prophets, all the way along with the truth of God, called by God. And here is the ultimate prophet of God. And I think much, well, the mess we see in our, in our province and across these two islands is this. These islands have ceased listening to the prophet of God. They're not listening. They've closed their ears. There's a famine, not of food, but of hearing the word of God. It, it, it's a tragic time we live in. When we don't turn, we don't hear, when our, when our political leaders... Maybe a couple of generations ago they might have prayed during times of war. Those things seem to be a long distant memory. It says in Psalm 110 verse 3. Psalm 110 and verse 3 it says this. Your people, this is the people of the Lord, shall be volunteers or they shall be willing in the day of your power. Just that first half of that verse. Your people shall be willing or volunteers in the day of your power. They'll be willing. Freely. They'll want to listen and to follow. That's the difference between those who are lost and those who are saved. They want to be taught by God. And they look forward to seeing Christ and and learning of Christ for he is the true and ultimate prophet. So that's Christ as prophet. Christ as prophet Now we're going to look at Christ as priest. Christ as priest. Verse 3 of of Hebrews 1, verse 3. It says this, Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. This is the main verse I wanted to highlight here. When he had by himself purged our sins. It also says, set down to the right hand of the majesty on high. But that, especially that, that section of that verse, when he had by himself purged our sins. Now, I don't know up here what the word priest, if you, somebody says the word priest to you, what it, what it conjures up in your mind. Um, if you grew up in Cork, as I did, um, you think of priest, you think of the idea of a Roman Catholic priest. It just floods into your mind straight away. Um, and the idea is that a priest could offer up a sacrifice. That's the whole idea. Um, Christ 
is seen within the Roman church as being offered up time and time again. I say in some form, but they have some way of explaining it. But again and again at the Mass, sadly, the Lord is seen as being offered over and over again. The ceremony is blasphemous, the Mass, and it should be shunned by all who love Christ. But while we may have a bad image of what a priest is, it may conjure up that thing in your mind, there's a good priesthood instituted by God. Uh, there was a Levitical priesthood in the Old Covenant, and it's now gone in some ways, but continuing in another way. Gone in one sense, the animal sacrifices are no more. No more. Because they could never take away sin. They were never designed really to take away sin. In a ceremonial sense, yes, but not in an ultimate sense. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It's, 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 there's a contrast here. There's something that is done once and it's finished, never to be repeated again. Compared with that sacrifice, it has to be done over and over again because it's not enough. That's why it has to be done again. But then there's the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He offers himself. And because it is such a perfect sacrifice, the idea of another sacrifice from that point onwards in history is seen as blasphemous rejection of the perfect sacrifice which has come to pass. Animal sacrifices do not take away sin. They merely pointed to the blood that would be shed. And if you look at the difference between the Old and New Testament, circumcision was replaced with baptism. Circumcision was bloody. Baptism is not. Uh, The Passover is bloody. The, The lamb is killed. And the Lord's table is simply bread and the cup. Very, very simple. There's no bloodshed at all in either of these. We see the ultimate priest, the high priest. And... What's amazing about this priest is he doesn't offer, he's not offering another lamb. He's not offering up a sacrifice for his own sin, the sins of the people like had gone before. He offers himself. It's extraordinary. Not only is he the high priest, he's also the lamb of God. Combined in one. Now, after the order of Melchizedek, it says this in Psalm 110, Psalm 110, verse 4. We have the mysterious figure of Melchizedek in verse 4 of Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a very interesting figure. For one main reason that we're going to look at here this evening is he's not just a priest. He's also a king. And in the Old Testament, that was very, very unusual. These three roles were usually separated from each other. And when anybody, when the king tried to offer sacrifice, oh, no, you you just don't do that. 
So it's very unusual for that to happen. If we look at one or two verses here, uh, Hebrews uh, 7, 7 verse 1, Hebrews 7 verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. Isn't that interesting? You are a priest forever after the order of, of Melchizedek. There's that combining of the roles there. The Levitical priesthood, as we said, it was not forever, but there's a sense in which, okay, the Levitical priesthood has been placed away, but it continues in another way. It's been put aside, but continues in Christ, in the office of Christ, perfectly. A priesthood that was also a prophetical. Actually, in the Old Testament, if you look at the priests, they also taught. They taught the law. And there was a teaching element to it as well. They were to teach uh, the people. Because, and Christ is the perfect embodiment of that. Of that role. Who being the, the brightness of his glory. He's not just hearing about the glory and not being that himself. He is equally as glorious as the Father. So if he shows himself, he shows the glory of the Father. And the express image of his person, that eternal relationship between Father and Son. And upholding all things by the word of his power, he had by himself purged our sins. And you might even be seeing in in Hebrews a bit of an overlap that takes place between these roles. Teacher, prophet. I remember... I remember, I think I was, I saved about a year, year and a half, and I remember uh, witnessing years ago to a very zealous Roman Catholic um, observer. He, he, you mightn't have met anybody like this, but there's a number of people I met down in Cork, well, he was in Dublin, that they went to the old Latin Mass. The priest would have his back to the crowd, and they'd said everything was in Latin. Because they saw everything in the problem in the Roman Catholic Church as being a problem after Vatican II. Very zealous, very knowledgeable. And I remember witnessing to the guy, and I remember just saying, okay, do you have a Bible? Because I didn't, for some reason, I didn't have my Bible with me. And I really wanted to go to Hebrews 1.3. And I was going to talk. Look, he, I was, couldn't wait to just show him. He had by himself purged our sins. I open up his Bible, and I don't think it's, the, it's not the greatest translation in the world. That part where it says... Purged our sins, in his translation says, making purgation of sins. No longer sounds like it's something finished in the past. It sounds like a process that's still ongoing. It sounds like something unfinished. I remember still to this day, my heart just sank when I read that. There was enough in there to share him the gospel. There was. Um, The translation here was translated from Latin, the Latin Vulgate. But I still remember that day. One of the reasons I remember that day is, this is one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 1.3. And it just shows the finished, perfect priesthood of Christ. How he laid down, he purged our sins, and it's such a powerful verse. I think it's one of the reasons my heart sang that day, because I really wanted to use that verse with him. By himself took away our sins. Even the word by himself was kind of removed as well. He's not like other priests. Who had their own sins to deal with. He put away 
ours. It says in Hebrews 9, 26 and 28, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this is judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So Christ was offered once. You see this once And this constantly throughout the book of Hebrews, there's the repeated nature of the other sacrifices which weren't good enough. What more, dear friends, could he have done for you to show his love? When we think, I don't know about you, how many people do you know, good friends of yours, have died for you? They've already demonstrated. It's an easy question, isn't it? They've laid down their life for you. If you have a friend who's there in times of trouble, he's always there for you through thick and thin, value that friend. Here is a much closer friend, Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to serve him because he's, anything he's asking us to do, he has done that and far more. He's given us himself. That's a Christ as priest. Now we're going to finally look at Christ as king. Christ as king. And again, we remind ourselves that these, really this role, all these three roles are really one role in Christ. In verse four, uh, the end of verse three, it says, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, verse four of Hebrews chapter one, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 8 of Hebrews as well, it says, and if you notice in verse 5 all the way down to verse 13, he's comparing with the angels and he's saying, who of the angels has, has God ever said this about? When the answer is no one. There's no one, this has been, this, the angels have never, as impressive as they are, have never had this said of them. All these quotes are from Psalms and different parts of the scriptures. But in verse 8 it says, but to the Son, he says, comparing again with angels, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. He is a king. He is a king. And also remind yourselves of Psalm 110. Psalm 110. And you see in verse 4, the combining of the two roles, priest and king, after the, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. As we said, Melchizedek is a, is a very interesting figure because he's not only a, a, a priest, but he's also a king. He's king of righteousness. But we see this combination of the roles in Christ unlike any other to that point. In Melchizedek, we have the priest and the kingly role together. But there's none like Christ in his role with God. There's none that reveals the Father in the way Christ did and still continues to do in his word. Prophet, priest, and king. 
All these are combined in one office. So he said, he by his word, he reveals his word, he teaches his word, he, he shows the will of the Father. By himself, he intercedes for us in prayer. He, he's, he, if we go to God, we can approach God because of Christ. And whenever we're praying, it's because of Christ that our prayers are heard, not because of us. And then also, by that same word, he rules. You see how powerful this word is? I wish we, we, we knew more about the power of the word of God. It is sharpening a two-edged sword. We'd share it more. If we believed in the power of the word, this is the word by which he rules, by which he reigns in our hearts, by which he converts sinners from death unto life. How much, how much more powerful can you get than that? In, in Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, in, in, in the original, it's kind of like, Jehovah said to my Adonai, which is kind of like two words for the word Lord, um, shows within the Godhead, God the Father speaking, God the Son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord, and this is Jehovah, shall send the rod of your Strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now this is not two gods sharing up, you know, divvying up, you can have this part. No, no, you rule. Because why? Because they are one. They are one God. The word of God rules. The word of God, because it rules, it also blesses those who believe. If you trust in the word of God, if you trust in Jesus Christ, it will, because of its power, because of its strength, it will bring forth good fruits. And I tell you, friends, if we believe in the word of God and its power, we will cease to be afraid of what men will do to us. Now, I struggle with this as much as any other man And we all worry about what people think of us and things like that. But the thing about it is, fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. And it drives out all the other irrational fears that we have in our heads. If we trust him, we will fear him. And we will see how powerful his word is and how puny our enemies are. Our enemies are going to be dust under the feet of of God, The Lord shall send his rod and strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. Yes, he is gentle and meek and lowly when we meet him in the Gospels. But never forget, he is all-powerful. I think it's, you know, we struggle with that, don't we? We're gentle and meek and lowly. And he, he came into this world, he learned obedience. But he's now in the right hand of the majesty on high. He suffered willingly for a time, enduring the cross, submitting himself to death. It says in question 45 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, how doth Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executeth the office of a king in calling out of the world a people to himself. Uh, the reason we go out and evangelize is because of the power of this word. Uh, if, if the word wasn't powerful, we'd be wasting our time. And he rules. When he, when he brought you to salvation, he showed his power in you. 
Also, it says another way, how does he rule? In giving them officers. That's church officers. He rules through that way. And also laws and censures, by visibly governs them, and bestowing saving grace upon his elect. These are all ways in which Christ rules. And another way it says, and I'm skipping through a few here, restraining and overcoming all their enemies. I don't know if you, I suppose most people in Northern Ireland heard about the Ashes Bakery case a few years ago. And they did the right thing. But they could have easily said, look, uh, I don't know if you want this. This is just too much trouble. Mm. They trusted in God. I think they're really a remarkable couple, MacArthur's. I really do. Um, Very, very simply, they trusted in God throughout the whole thing. And they just said, look, whatever will be, will be. They were trusting in the Lord. But the Lord restrained and overcame. The Lord's in control of everything. The Lord will bring us through valleys and difficulties to help us grow for all sorts of different reasons that we may not see at the time. But he's in complete control of everything. It says here in Matthew 28 verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All. Not some. Not a portion. Not a part. All. So when you go back to your house. And you see your back and front yard. And you see every blade of grass. Just remind yourself. The Lord says mine. Every pretty flower you have out the front. Mine. Every, every little particle of dust that accumulates in your house, the Lord says, mine. And he's rightfully his, because he's created it all. Now, when we were young, we learned the word mine. You know, we're two years old, we're grabbing for whatever we're grabbing for, the toy, and we just say, mine. Because that's our hearts. You never have to teach a child to say mine. It's usually one of the first words they'll say. We want to, when we're young, and we have to learn and be you know, taught. No, that doesn't belong to you. But guess what? Everything belongs to God. Absolutely everything belongs to God. And one of the things in our fallen natures is we struggle with that. We struggle with that. It's one of the reasons when, when, when our savings are a little bit higher, our prayer is a little bit shorter. And when we're struggling to pay the bills, oh, the prayer will come out then. I'm saying this, it all belongs to him. Anything you have, it belongs to him. And that changes how you think about things. He rules, he's given you, if he's given you resources, if he's given you talents, he's given them not for you, but for his kingdom. He's given you to be a blessing in the church. Um, to be a gift, you could say, in the church. He rules. And, and in his ruling, and his sovereign mercy, he has placed you here to be a blessing here. In Hebrews 1.10 it says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. His, it's his stuff. It's his things. And it's a wonderful thing uh, to serve him. Because if we look to him, the lamb, he has saved us. If we don't look to him, the lamb, the lamb will judge us. It's a, there's a very striking 
image at the end of the, in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6, verses 15, 16, and 17. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the commanders, and the, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves, and in the, the rocks of the mountains, and said to the, to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand. The wrath of the Lamb. The world would like to think, this is the way the world likes to think of Christ, as a helpless baby once a year. And that's it. A partial Christ is no Christ at all. He is prophet. He teaches us. He is priest. He intercedes for us. He saves us if we trust in him. And he's also our king. Our king. Now I know we've lost... You know, the idea of a king years ago, if you, if you disobey the king and thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, you'd probably lose your life. Today, you probably get an award if you, if you show disrespect for the king. We have a very different culture today. But I want us to think about how kings were normally seen, with respect, with honor, dignity. Our covenanting forefathers were very careful. When, when the covenanters were... In dis- well, you could say disagreement or even a war with the king, they were so careful to show the king respect, even though he was an ungodly king. But they were so careful at every opportunity to show him as much respect as his office deserved. As a prophet, does Christ teach you? As a priest, has he died in your place? And are you, well, the question is, are you living for him? And as a king, do you respect him and obey him? Not just your favorite bits. We all like the little bits of Christ. All of them. There's a, there's a book by Sinclair Ferguson called The Whole Christ. I love the phrase. Have you embraced that whole Christ? Everything about him. He's king. He's prophet. And he's priest. And he, everything about him. Embrace them all. Amen.